Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Uh, my name is Sangeet Prabhaka and uh, I'm from Hackney. And um, you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. So um, my question today, I'll try and I'll do my best to keep it light, I promise. Kind of... Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the general kind of discourse that's going on uh, around kind of society at the moment, about equality and diversity and inclusion and all these lovely words. Um, but I've been kind of thinking, is is it kind of fair to say that kind of multiculturalism is kind of almost in a way like a kind of multiple personality affect, but on a wider social level right and if we look at that we think about that you say kind of okay then there's chances a kind of dominant personality stroke culture um uh so therefore my question is kind of at which point when the dominant culture is talking about diversity and inclusion at which point does it kind of sp- spill over into you know conformity and assimilation but there you go. Nice light question for you so at the start of your podcast. But anyway, love the show and uh, looking forward to seeing you live. Cool, man. Bye. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello. And a mix of very special guests posed to questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from... Well, we are talking everything from Sangeet, from Hackney's question. Um, <laughs> it had a few layers to it, this one. Something a bit like, how does conformity work in a multicultural society? Or, or at what point does diversity and integration become assimilation? Dane, I mean, we've got like a minute uh, at the start of this show. <laughs> Sangeet, you, you've, you've outdone yourself. No, it was a great question, Sangeet. We heard it it's in, in its entirety. We've had to truncate for uh, the sake of brevity on the, co- on the podcast. So I would say, in answer to the question, I think can, uh, diversity and inclusion uh, within a multicultural society can give way to conformity and assimilation when those who are not from what's perceived as a dominant culture see the erasure and the reduction of their culture in the face of dominant culture to the point where, I guess, you know, so maybe a inferiority complex is formed and people would be hesitant to reference their own uh, mm. culture within dominant culture. So I guess a short answer to that would be like, you know, um, losing losing the freedom of religion and then becoming conformist to the prevalent religious doctrine in dominant culture. So it could be continental Africans and Western Orthodox Christianity, for example. Yeah. Whereas despite the fact that uh, Abyssinia was the first Christian nation on earth, to then follow the Western doctrine despite it being from the 
content you're indigenous to will be an example of assimilation, I would say. So I hope that's helped. Sangi, hope that's helped. And suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely. No question is too blunt, too thorny, too highbrow, too lowbrow or too silly. And if you do enjoy the show, please rate and review on iTunes and subscribe to us on Spotify and you will never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a Haitian-American food historian, historian and archaeologist. She lectures at the University of Glasgow on the history of the Atlantic slave trade. In 2016, she was awarded a Ford Foundation Fellowship to do an excavation of the first integrated school in Ohio, the Parker Academy. And she has contributed to various BBC programs, including the BBC Two History series, A Black History of Britain. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Ms. Peggy Brunash. Thank you so much, Dane. Thank you, Howard. I it's forgot the doctor. To be here. I forgot the doctor bit in your title. Howard, Dr. I'm going to do it again. Dr. Right, Peggy, Howard, I'm, a I'm a disgrace. Doctor, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. I worked hard to get that doctor in front yeah, absolutely. of me. Absolutely. <laughs> we're going to so do it again. Oh, that is... Oh, I'm, I'm, no, we're going to have to keep this in, Dane. Let's move on. I'm gonna, honestly, I can't... We'll, 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 it's my, you know, It's my mistake. Well, Doctor, I don't know why Howard is so resistant to your level of <laughs> academia, but we are... Um, we might have to talk to about here. that. Yeah. We might have to, and we may have to revoke his, his status, Howard. You are on thin, thin ice, Howard. I- I'm doing my best. Anyway, how are you, Peggy? Uh, <laughs> I'm a little Dr. Dr. Peggy, Dr. Peggy, sorry, yes. <laughs> it's fine. You can I mean, As long as everyone recognizes recognizes that I do have a PhD. I am a doctor, obviously not a medical doctor, but I do have a PhD. I'm actually um, not as cold as I was earlier when we we tried this the first time. It's, right. uh, it's a little brisk here in Scotland at the moment. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I um, doctor, I, ha- I hasten to tell you that that's not going to be a brief state climatologically in Scotland. <laughs> it's not. It's not brisk now. Brisk is the homeostasis of Scotland. It's well, it's true. But I, you know, I'm trying to acclimatize. I've been here for quite a few years, well over a decade now. So uh, I, I'm trying to use the same lingo that everyone else would say. It's it's a little brisk right now, but it's Ooh. not truly cold yet. That would be a good an example of. Uh, assimilation is uh, someone of Haitian American origin being in denial of how bloody cold it is here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say denial. I, didn't, I did just, not deny. It's just using no, new nomenclature to describe the, the intensity of said cold. There you go. I get it. I totally get it. How, how have you been um, post pandemic? You know, we were, we were lucky, um, but I still have a job and um, uh, I, it turns out that my husband and my son and I, found out not only do we love each other we actually like each other wow because we we didn't get tired of each other stuck in our small flat the whole time Uh, we just adapted and um just it it brought us closer so we were we were the boring lucky type it's it's fine i mean it's it's good to hear i think i think a lot of people were forced to confront the fact that their relationships couplings and uh, Mm -hmm. social circles are very much based on them only being able to see people in small doses I think a lot of people would have yeah. had to seek alternate accommodation following the pandemic. So yeah, sometimes boring's good. Sometimes I, I'm boring's I'm good. I'm happy with boring. Um, unfortunately, you know, I mean, I growing up in Miami, a lot of wild stuff happened. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I've seen some things. Yeah. I'm three o five. I'm still three o five. I've go. seen from, some things from a from a from a from a 
Zoe Pound, a Cuban American Jamaican perspective. I think you've done your due diligence so far as drama from the three hundred five. You, you just chill now. Yeah, I got scars. I you can't. I don't know if you can say I've got scars. That wow. I had. I had three hundred five, madam. I don't doubt it for a second. You don't have to qualify yourself to me. <laughs> as a as a Haitian American who grew up in a three hundred five, who's now relocated to Scotland, like I wouldn't be surprised if you fight crime at night, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, hey, Dane. Shh. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Come on, man. Come on. Just sorry. Just so excited to have you on here. But mum's the word. Um, so <laughs> it's probably time for a question, Dane, as, as the format of this show tends to dictate. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Peggy Brunash, as our very esteemed guest, we invite you to ask the first question to myself and Howard, which we'd like to discuss for you for 15 minutes of some change. And then Howard here would like to pose you a question, which we'd also like to discuss for the same amount of time. And in keeping with the theme of nice, structured, boring routine, I would like to ask you a question <laughs> so we can discuss for 15 minutes. And then... The people like, like structure, you, Dane. The people, people like, like structure. structure, especially yeah. with podcasts. Yeah. So, And after we've completed this very uh, structured discussion, we would like for you to tell our audience where they can find out more about your good works globally. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. And Dr. Panache, the floor is yours to ask the first question. So does what, especially coming in, coming out of October, which is Black History Month, and for many of us who uh, identify as Black 365 days of the year, one month, one month doesn't mean really anything. However, we do know that it is uh, an opportunity to celebrate and highlight not just the the dark and difficult aspects of of our our diasporic heritage, but also celebrate various forms of joy and resistance, um, self-care. But often I always get the sense that for a lot of people, they're just non-Blacks, and maybe even some Blacks are just waiting for the end of the month so that that history is done and and everyone can get back to the way things normally are. So it's something that I've been arguing uh, in my work and and will be doing so pretty much for the rest of my life is the idea of Black history, and particularly in Britain, is Black history only for Black people or is it everyone's history? Hmm. Good question. Question. Good question. Um, And 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 the inspiration for that is so clear, given what you just said about the. Do you do do you like the month? I'm genuinely mean that as a no um, positive or negative connotations behind me asking that question. Do you like the idea of the month? I see its necessity. I'll say that. Yeah. Because of the way our society is and what it chooses to focus on mm-hmm. in terms of, of history and its contemporary legacies and, and the lack thereof on uh, our knowledge of our past, I, it, it, it's necessary. But again, I don't feel it's something that should be relegated to October. My goal is to turn Black History Month into Christmas in the sense of, you know, Christmas is technically one day out of the year. But then people started looking at it a week before, a month before. Don't you know, I walked into Marks and Spencer's in October and there was Christmas stuff up already. Oh, yeah. So it's it's bleeding and leaching into other months. uh, And I want that to happen for Black History Month 
mm. where, you know, even if people do start to get a little irritated, like, wait, it's July. Why are we, what, what is all this Black History Month stuff going on? Um, so that people understand, or from my point of view, uh, they just accept the fact that it should not be relegated to one month. I understand its purpose now, but it is my ultimate goal that it leaches out of October into the other months of the year. I I think the definitive answer, and then I will hand it to Dane to to conduct his uh, thoughts on this brilliant question, is that black history is everyone's history. And and we've been kind of like tricked into, you know, kind of thinking, not tricked, but like kind of, there's like a kind of, I know tricked is a good word to use. Is, <laughs> into mm-hmm. thinking that this is something that isn't, you know, part of, and, and and you know, you kind of go through, I don't know, every major event, and there will be a element of of of, of black participants uh, in it, and therefore saying that participants' view of that particular historic event is black history because it's come from a black person is exactly. is kind of crazy, you know, as a Jew. You kind of grow up with this kind of, you know, at least in the last, you know, almost 80 years, you grow up with this shadow of the Holocaust over every Mm -hmm. kind of bit of history that you have. And I I always find that kind of a strange thing because it's quite united. It's one of the few things that's like, hey, it's uh, someone tried to kill all the Jews month or day or whichever Mm -hmm. version of that is. Everyone gets on board with that because everyone had a thing against the Nazis, right? It was an enemy that everyone was, pretty much everyone was against. Whereas this is an enemy that's far more complicated to um, to comprehend, right, Dane? Yeah, I mean, mean, yeah, a number of things are covered there because obviously uh, you could argue that there are several points in uh, Jewish history or Judaism which has an intersectionality that involves black people, whether it would be, you know, the uh, exodus or, you know, the erasure from, or even the fact that, I mean, Moses was passing for the Pharaoh's half-brother, so he would have had to have been of a particular complexion for them to have been thriving and working within Egypt. Hmm. Um, Well. (laughs) Right? And, uh, you know, so... And even the fact that his wife was from Abyssinia um, would have mean that to try to even distinguish uh, Jewish history and uh, theology mm. from the uh, from the history of indigenous Africans would be impossible. So it that does. So I guess that I made that point to lend to your statement about Black history being everyone's history. Um, I think, uh, as you correctly said, uh, Doctor, that um, <clears throat> it should begin to bleed into other things. I think. You know, it's interesting that the Black History Month is October in the UK and it's February in the States. 28 and, days. Yeah, 28, 28 days. days. And, and, and very far apart, despite the fact that the uh, machinations, which created the socially called species that we refer to as Black today, would have been conducted on both the European continent as well as the Americas. And yet mm-hmm. but there's such a big separation between the two months, even though the history which we are chronicling or referring back to was happening simultaneously. So it's interesting that that's separated. So I would say that the initial issue is, as you both quite stated, that uh, black history is everyone's history. But um, I think, and I would never thought I would do this, but to cite Kanye West in a recent interview, <laughs> so that he, he doesn't want to have Black History Month, he wants to have Black Future Month. And... Uh, I mean, and I think the idea was That's that such a Kanye to thing to say, you know. Yeah, right? and I think the idea was that he wants to highlight the strides and progressive movements that are being done by uh, black people today. The thing is that uh, 
trying to contextualize these achievements within the lens of capitalism and then linking them to black achievements would be very difficult, being that the chattel slave trade and Atlantic slave trade was the foundation upon which capitalism was born out of. Absolutely. So it's very difficult to use today's uh, today's um, metrics to measure black progression because it would inevitably include capitalism when you could argue that if we were to use black history, so for example, resource exploitation, mm-hmm. and then wanted to move progressively following that, then it would be very difficult for us to derive pride as a race from capitalist achievement when the real truth is it's fine if a black person can afford a chain, but when you realize that the mineral wealth of the Congo alone is over three trillion, then if we had our own nationalized resources, we probably wouldn't need to give a fuck about a chain. So I guess for me, um, I think that black history is everyone's history. And I think, you know, when I hear detractors talking about, oh, what would people say if we had a white history month? I actually we say, do. We, we already have that. We have, we have it we have that. Well, every month, even but, but in Black History even Month. Black history month. Really, really uh, and I was going to say, yeah, and further to that, really, Black history is really white history because it only chronicles the uh, the trajectory of Black people, as we're referred to, um, following our interaction with Europeans. So, you know, when we chronicle Black history, it only seems to be chronicled from the point at which Europeans discovered uh, Black civilization and then the exploitation and destruction of said civilization on the continent began. Whereas if we were to look at, uh, if we were to look at Black history through and contextual, oh, sorry, if we were to contextualize Black history along the lines that we are chronicling the achievements and movements of the uh, people indigenous to the African continent, then really you're not just looking at uh, black history anymore. You're looking at paleontology. You're looking at archaeology. Mm. You're looking at chronicling Cro-Magnon man and primordial man's movement. Because if you True. look at history, the reason I say but you also because- have to include, but but then when you look at uh, some of the North African countries mm-hmm. where even now they do not identify themselves yeah. as as black racially speaking right Mm -hmm. um if we're talking about colorism Mm -hmm. you also have to include those upon the african continent Mm -hmm. well i don't know i don't know if you have to include it i guess it depends because here's another curveball because that's an interesting point is then if we are talking black history are we is there are we conflating that with the indigenous australian or people from the chagos islands in the indian ocean or so exactly right so, because, so it's, I it's guess a the, hard... one of the most difficult things I find in terms of the curation and the uh, presentation of black history as an anthology or as a chronology is the fact that we are still struggling to define what is black. True. And blackness as an identity, as I said, is a socially created idea. Because if you were to try to describe to an alien what blackness was, you couldn't describe that aesthetically because albinism would destroy your description true tell you, but then we also have blackness as a political identity it, as yeah. well so that that really as you say it is a social construct to a certain extent because mm-hmm. we all know those of us who happen to have a darker hue feel the negative ramifications associated with anti-black racism still oh even we could say feel whether i think a better term to use it we're subject to yeah. Because as a black person, you can carry yourself with the idea that you don't feed into the idea of racial stratification or racial right. hierarchy, but that will be projected onto you whether you like it or not. 
Um, so for me, I'd say that, yeah, the issue with black history is, first of all, it's, um, it's always going to be a very difficult thing to kind of chronicle or to give credence to because the attempts, because I don't believe in the attempts to distinguish black people as a group from mm. other groups of human beings mm-hmm. because this is allowed this that segregation allows for our history to then become separated and then therefore reduced so for me i think yeah um the issue with black history is that maybe it needs to be redefined and i think the other thing as well is that um when we if we are going to look at and if the purpose is to uh chronicle and also um celebrate our contribution to both human history and to and to highlight or to reflect on our journey, then it's probably not going to be able to be done within the confines of European approach to uh, chronicling history. Well, and, and 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 I think one thing that I was going to ask Dr. Peggy is 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 about the kind of modernization of of the of the of the term history. Like I remember growing up with things that were kind of put out as suggested stories, <laughs> not the mm. definitive version of like, I always remember stuff about New York, right? Like you kind of hear lots of tales about kind of what went on uh, in, in, in New York, you know, with, with, with a kind of influx of drugs that, mm-hmm. you know, was often kind of spoken of as almost like as, as a rumor really. And now there's just such significant evidence. And I think some, some, you know, I, I feel like there's certain stories or this, um, I don't, do you know what I mean about kind of reattaching the history to the present day is one of the biggest challenges we have. Well, well I think, I think one of the reasons why we have an opposition to that is the fact that um, the introduction of critical race theory. So critical race theory arguably would be one of the examples of showing the uh, interaction of black people with white people historically. Yeah. And it's weird because then people become opposed to it. And that is very telling because it seems with black history that it, uh, it seems to be almost like chronicled and it's, it's compartmentalized in a very static way. So for most people, when they, when they do, when they do think about black history month, and I'll explain before you can answer is that most people, if you were to, if you, if they were to summarize black history, it's almost like chattel slavery a little bit on colonization from European countries, then slavery, then Jim Crow, then Martin Luther King, then a million man march, then civil rights act. And then it's like, everything was fine is how most people remember it. And then within that, you will have a few iconoclasts of that period. As I said, you have your Malcolm and Martin, very little mention of Medgar. Then you'll have no focus on the uh, journey of uh, the diaspora based in Canada, in North America, no coverage of Brazil, which is the largest population of Africans outside of the continent. Then you will have, maybe they'll talk about uh, Eluda Equiano over here, maybe Toussaint Louverture, even though most people are, are, aren't aware of the extent or the significance of the Haitian revolution. Um, then you might have people maybe discuss. I mean, the only time you even hear the reference re- mention of the white interaction with white people within history is when in Britain they refer to William Wilberforce being a catalyst for the end of the slave trade in the UK. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just like the fact that we aren't able to expand on that despite us having the ability to carbon date bones and fossils, despite us, like Cheddar Man, for example, we had the remains of Cheddar Man being found and we had a dark skin um, homo sapien being found on the British Isles. Mm-hmm. Has the curriculum been refined to include this? You know, or even if you look at um, Henrietta Lacks, who is like 
a woman who produced the HeLa cells, which are able, which are cancerous cells, which are still able to reproduce in stasis, which means essentially a real life immortal exists in the form of a black woman. Are we including that into history? If we're talking about like, you know, technological progresses and the fact that um, we are now having large conversations about issues of maternity and the study of gynecology. Are we discussing the fact that gynecology as a practice originated with vivisection of um, women who were chattel slaves? Right. It's like, you know, for example, just to finish my point, it's like I watch a lot of white women and feminists now complain about the dystopia they're living in and how close we're getting to The Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that fucking actually happened. What the fuck are you talking about? It's perspective, right? Yeah. It is It is interesting that, <clears throat> and this also relates to, to Kanye's. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Reasons for not wanting to reflect upon the past. And it's because of, of much of what you've said. For the most part, the way we understand Black and when I mean by black, I mean the uh, the enslaved Africans and their descendants. Mm-hmm. So when we think about the experiences of blacks of a very particular time period, which basically gave rise to modern capitalism and, and modernity as we understand it now, it is always from it has been predominantly and continues to predominantly be from a white lens. Mm -hmm. And therefore the white lens, which are the victors, which are the ones who constructed the laws, the the philosophy, the science, the religion controlled all these different structures for modes of oppression against non-whites. So it's not just about if you were black or not, it was if you were indigenous and if you were Asian as well as as Black, free or not, it does often produce narratives, stories, as Howard was saying, where Blacks are the victims. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard the state, a lot of Black people are tired of seeing slave stories. Including me. Tired of it. Especially the stories that they choose. Because they don't show stories like as depicted by C.L.R. James in the, the Black Jacobins. Like, revolution is never really shown in films. I think there was Nick Cannon and Danny Glover in talks to make a film yeah, uh, featuring yeah. like uh, Jean-Jacques um, um, 
uh, Dessain, sorry, mm-hmm. like as well as uh, Dutty Boatman and stuff like that. And, you know, who's it? Denmark Vassi. Obviously, there was a Nat Turner film, which we, we all the PR behind that was a very, very strange. And then another uh, former slave who freed himself, took on a, over a Confederate ship and then became a state governor at the end of that. I'm like, why is that not a film? Or like even in or even in Django, where the lead oh, no, white no, no, racist no. antagonist is killed by Christoph Waltz. I I can't. I we gotta skip the whole Django thing. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I have yeah. my own I my yeah, own yeah, perspective yeah, yeah, on yeah, 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 skip yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Suffice it to say, the there is a collective um narrative from the diaspora where we are tired of being stuck, as I said, in this static part of our history. Right where there are no alternative narratives, even fictionalized or romanticized aesthetics relating to this period are never shown. It is changing mm-hmm. ever so slightly. Is it enough? Absolutely not. It is changing ever so slightly. But the work that I do and many of my colleagues is first and foremost to get people to read against the grain. I do not bring anything that isn't already recorded as archives. So if anyone, particularly white, that wants to come at me, it's like, dude, it, your people wrote this. Yeah. This is what it says. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, created yeah. this. You can't argue with me. You need to argue with your ancestors that created yeah. this and, and made sure that everyone, black and white, followed the rules. You couldn't even be white and sympathetic to blacks yeah. or you'd be punished because everyone had to be on board with uh, subjugating and marginalizing um Black people. It's only it's only it's only way it will, it will work. It's such an interesting point as well because it's like I, as a comedian, you have this very subtle subtext of imperialism even within British comedy, where we have comedic and colloquial terms for all of people of all nations, irrespective of race. Whether you know we have uh, ideas that the French are um, pretentious and Germans mm-hmm. aren't very funny, and mm-hmm. you know, and we have different colloquial terms, and you realize like that is probably a knock on effect from the propaganda and the jingoistic propaganda that would have been disseminated amongst British people to facilitate imperialism, very similar in the same way that, like, you know, black inferiority would have had to have been wholesale pushed upon everybody in every single facet, in every single facet, every every molecule of being in order for it to be facilitated. Because essentially what you're trying to do is tell a group of human beings that these other people are not human beings, despite every single piece of evidence being to the contrary. And then also looking at the fact that most people in most human humanity itself chronicles its journey through its, um, uh, triumphs over adversity and its fights against oppressive odds. You're not going to find a more profound example of that than black people overcoming chattel slavery. So as oh, a God, as, yeah. as a white and that's person, the thing that's not yeah. and that's okay. and that is what many of us try to try to explain is when we talk about black resistance, it's only and 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 even yourself, you know, you were talking about these these incredible men that were military leaders, religious leaders, military leaders uh, who who fought against the system to overtly fight against it, to overturn it. Mm -hmm. But black people have always found various ways, subtle as well as overt, to resist the system, even if it means taking your own life or your children's lives, even as horrible as that can be. That means that's because every oh, person... Oh, black, black women who performed the first abortions, for example. 
Right. So some of it is very much controversial. That's even hard for us to Mm -hmm. to discuss now. But it's quite interesting that even within the archive of slavery, which has done everything to marginalize not only our experiences, but our forms of resistance Mm -hmm. at best or at worst, erase us out of it altogether, Mm. altogether. When you read against it, usually what you're reading is. We got to change that. We have to change the laws because they were resisting. We have to tweak the system because they were resisting. Oh, dear God, we need more people because this happened. So it's quite interesting that even in the archives and these historic records that are supposedly demonstrating their domination, it's also saying these damn people won't just take it. An example of that would be the historian David Starkey, who tried to deny that there was an attempt at genocide on the African continent because the blacks are still running around. His exact words. So I'd like to take this juncture to say a big, massive fuck you to David Starkey and any other white guys in bow ties that go around telling lies for a living. Um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Doctor. It's the issue really is the fact that um, the, the chronicling and the relaying of history I think still remains integral to the maintenance of racial hierarchy and power structures. Because if you were to accurately or more expansively chronicle black history, then it would probably remove the basis for uh, hegemony and superiority from some of the European nations and empires that we see today. For example, is the fact that now we live in a secular society where a lot of people are much more over about them being atheistic or irreligious or agnostic. And that's fine that you have freedom of religion, but I find it quite rich that now the average white guy I meet or middle-class white man will say, I don't believe in God, and that's my right not to do so. And I can be like, that's fine, because when we said we didn't believe in a Christian God, we were killed. So, hmm. Well, I was going to say that the, I think that the, the one thing that somehow helps, I don't know, it's, I think a weird element to black history is how many modern heroic figures, let's say 20th century Second half of the 20th century figures uh, are no longer alive. That that list, and, and, and I know obviously that could go for other races, mm-hmm. you know, whatever groupings. But you look yeah. at that list for you know, kind of you know, obviously Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and then I look at kind of popular culture and think of like if we could have done with another 20, 30 years of Otis Redding, Marvin Gaye. <laughs> you know, you know I mean, I just think there's a lot. There's quite a long list there potentially of people. And you kind of think, well, how would that help shape society? Well, it's in, it's a really good point, Howard. I think because you know having these iconoclasts appearing throughout history as uh, linchpins to link narratives and ideas, hmm. and having the, the erasure of these people and the reducing of their contributions and the manipulation of their narratives um, really serves, I think, to keep black history in that same box and in that same state where we only chronicle from the 1776 up until 1969. But you forget one thing that there's something that both you and Howard uh, in your examples, every example of, of these, these people with agency, um, whether creatively or um, military prowess have all been men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we've. Oh, is it, oh, is I it was that thinking that. Yeah. They've all been men. No, no. The examples you brought up were all men because yeah. you have not been educated yeah. on the women that have always been in these roles. 
And and in particular, if we're talking about the Haitian Revolution, there were plenty of women who also physically fought. Yep. Right. You had women who physically. A lot of women as well, as they were referred to at the time. Yeah. You had women that that fought on the battlefield. You had women that were that would align themselves sexually with French soldiers just to get information to relay it back. So former slave women and wet nurses used to poison their nipples and stuff to kill off the oppressors. There were so, so I, there was, there's so many ways that women, and not just during slavery, but certainly that led slave revolts that, again, there were plenty of women that led slave revolts. Mm-hmm. You haven't heard about them. So this is also a problem as well, right? The, the, the complexity of these issues associated with race are never acting outside of other socio-categorical sets. We're talking about gender. We're talking about sexuality. There's all these things, right? Because for example, one of the things we often talk about is, you know, so many black women were, were, and we know this is true, that were raped against their will, um, taken sexually, assaulted. Do you think that didn't happen to black men? Oh, black I know boys? Exactly did. I definitely, but I know we don't, did. but we no, don't we can't talk discuss about it. that. No, we can't. Well, and the problem, I mean, and yeah, we don't talk about it, but, but that's, this is what I mean. It's like, I personally feel like history mm-hmm. and it's even the term history might itself be a, a, a term that reduces the expanse of the black journey from, or the, from the creation of that group, as they are referred to as the descendants of chattel slavery, mm-hmm. up until this point, maybe history alone is the word that we can't use because, you know, there are discussions for philosophy and ideology that have permeated both black culture and black cultures has to kind of had to be juxtaposed with certain elements of white ideology that, um, you know, are, have had an effect on the Black Caucus to an extent, even like, you know, in the terms of the fact that mm. when we discuss our freedom, like you look at someone like the Black Panthers, they were cited for uh, having a lot of uh, Maoist rhetoric and Leninist rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, it may not necessarily have been as rigid as them taking on a European paternalistic ideology. It's just that if you were to describe the fact that they were pushing for an equal word between all downtrodden people, that might have been the closest thing you could use to to describe it. But that may not necessarily have been the case. In the same way that, like, you know, prior to the introduction of chattel slavery or colonization, there would have been a number of tribal societies and monarchistic societies within Africa. Um, And we don't know necessarily if those were... um, I mean, we don't know what those were like, but I would say that monarchy, as I understand it from being living in Europe, doesn't seem to be as beneficial, as particularly beneficial to me as a taxpayer. Mm. Whereas how that system may have worked as an indigenous tribesman in Africa with chieftains and with their own monarchistic systems could have been very different. But we don't know because it's not something that's really studied in detail. True, true. So the, so the problem is, is understanding history and I, I I think you're right in trying to make the distinction between historical events versus history. Mm-hmm. Right. History has been and continues to be taught predominantly, not solely, but predominantly from a white European lens, which mm-hmm. does not center our contributions mm-hmm. or acts of agency. Mm-hmm. And there are many of us that are trying to change that. Mm-hmm. As you said, this is something, you know, how, 
why why didn't you learn it? Are people even learning it now? We are trying to make headway with changing some of uh, schools and and some of their curriculums and what it is that they are learning. I certainly that is all I do is lecture on this. And again, as I've told you, I what I am saying is not hearsay. I present students with all the data, with all the evidence written by whites for the most part mm-hmm. to challenge their understanding. Mm-hmm. One of the other aspects that I think is very hard for a lot of people to grasp is that the ideas, the constructions of race and racism and racial inequality of any sort, not just anti-Black, happened or began long before the transatlantic slave trade. Mm. Some of the some of the same images that you would see into the 18th century, 19th century, hell, 20th century, particularly, you know, some of those horrible advertisements where you see um, this detergent can get things so white, it can turn a black person white, mm. right? We have Italian um, texts with pictures of people trying to wash the blackness off of an African. That goes back hundreds of years. There was still, and human, I don't mean, there was still human zoos in Belgium after the Second World War. Exactly. So, so these situations happened before slavery. We obviously know we still have issues now. Right. There there are people we're still fighting for our humanity in many in many cases. But trying what I find has been most successful is demonstrating so much of. These. Issues where you see two people of different races tried for the same kind of crime. But given two different sentences. Mm -hmm. And I can take that back to some of the earliest court cases in the United States from 1640, before it was the US, before there was even an idea of rebelling against England, as early as 1640, you had the same situation of a black man and a white man did the same crime and completely different sentences given out and the first black police officers weren't allowed to arrest white criminals anyway even when even in the film 12 years slave solomon northrop upon escaping slavery was unable to have prosecute or have his captors charged because a black man despite being a free black man still couldn't press charges for kidnapping and trafficking to the white men that kidnapped him oh i can give you one um from the 17th century where there were situations where if a black person had the tenacity and the smarts to become free as slavery is as black slavery is rising in the colonies but there's still white indentured servants you have um enslaved africans coming over too if you had the opportunity to become free and own land you couldn't be a black free person and have indentured white servants. Mm. You could only be a black person 
and have enslaved Africans. But of course, if you are white and free and well, white and you are free and you're a landowner, you could have indentured whites, you could have enslaved Africans, you could do whatever you want. But even as far back as the early 1600s, you couldn't do that as a free black man. The laws had already been set. And every time a black person found a loophole, they had to tighten it up. Yeah. And keep Absolutely. changing it. Every every time. And, and that's the thing is that Black History Month, it's the prefix, the prefix black and prefacing things with black because of all of the other aspects of uh, inculcation and brainwashing and suggestion that happens in society. Mm-hmm. There is always going to be a part of the human psyche that compartmentalizes, separates, and I would argue dehumanizes any historical events you reference within Black History Month. That's interesting. I don't see it that way. I don't see that it naturally becomes a process of dehumanizing. I would say it is a conscious construction that a country chooses to do Mm -hmm. because and call me naive, I do not believe it is in most people's nature to be that violent towards an entire group of people. Mm-hmm. It has to, and as as you and I both agreed, once these decisions were made that we are going to create a system where we will have free labor based on you know, racializing black bodies and exploiting them to the point that they only live six years, literally work them to death. But there were too many situations where whites felt uncomfortable with that. And so they had to create laws to say, you will, you will be on board with this. If you treat them as anything but less than us, you will be punished. You will be publicly whipped and and this will be a demonstration to everyone that you too must coincide. It, it it it's almost like certain aspects of Nazi Germany where you could not show any sort. Oh, it's still, of support. Inter- it's, it's still internalized today. I think you mm-hmm. know it's 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 internalized today by white people under under suggestion. For like most, I, I would say, if you look at the disposition or the racial disposition or the racial disposition of even white people today, the idea that's been suggested to them is that these people, because of what was. It's too late now. It's been done to them. And what will happen is that if they are given a level playing field, they will do to you what you did to them. That's one thing that white people are taught. And I think the other thing is the fact that now that people are becoming to struggle a lot more under the yoke of capitalism and consumerism, the idea is not even just about race. It's really about resource allocation. And I think most white people or people who identify politically as white, as European, as they exist now, in the same way that if you talk to people about becoming vegans or not eating meat anymore, there is an entire industry framework that re- an economy that revolves around this around that idea. It's woven into culture. Whether it's like you know Christmas time, you have a turkey. No one can imagine that without a, life, a Christmas without a turkey at the center of the table or Thanksgiving. These are woven into culture. It's woven woven into religion as well. And so, in the same by the same token. The idea of having to acknowledge the humanity of the diaspora as a whole, which would mean conceding that a lot of people have ritualistic murders and rapists within their own family. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that is something that would be far too difficult to rationalize. I think the other part to it as well is that even if we was to look at former human rights abuses that took place um, and still take place, uh, still on, take place. On, on the diaspora, 
then even within the own framework of laws as they exist across the UN or within the West, you were having countries like America would have to go to The Hague. Hmm. And I think that's very difficult for people to take on board. But I think one of the biggest um, hurdles to the refinement and the correct application of uh, black history is, as you correctly said, that even though curriculums are changing, because that's within the confines of academia, part of the uh, racist infrastructure obscures access to academic knowledge from the diaspora as a whole. Yes. Part of your status would be you'd be you'd have been subject to inferior education initially, denied yes. access to equivalent education naturally, and then as part of that natural process and as a part of suggestion, I would definitely argue as being part of the Caribbean community that there are certain elements of the community that have grown up to uh, reduce the importance of education and to ridicule education and to go so far as uh, through suggestion liken. Um, academic academic study to whiteness that's been part of the condition as well so like even though the availability but the wrong kind of whiteness right yeah not the yeah. not the capitalistic no not the capitalist materialistic that's okay benevolent benevolent billboard whiteness but more of the studious and contentious and right. left uh, left wing thinking um and maybe not even capitalist, but maybe more left-wing um, bipartisan ideology. Because, you know, even when you see the solidarity between the Jewish and community and the diaspora, mm-hmm. the new term to describe that would be cultural Marxism. Have you heard that? Which maybe? is, yes. It... <laughs> that's I think that's what it means when people are called a cultural Marxist. It's just a more refined way for the alt-right to refer to blacks and Jews. So... <sighs> Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, I would say that uh, so far as, like, uh, black history, yeah, it, it needs to be understood as white history. I think the problem comes from the fact that human beings, even today, are still learn to use qualifiers such as the contribution of their people towards history as qualifiers for their status as human beings. So I think it's been the... Uh, technique of our oppressors to reduce our contribution to human history in that respect mm-hmm. um, in order to uh, perpetuate our dehumanization so i think in order for us to yeah for black history not necessarily to be assimilated but i think yeah it's black history because it is it is partic- it is it is curious mm-hmm. that one imagines a group of people to be monsters, right? It's all a fabrication. Mm. And yet that imagined creation becomes real in their, in their world. Mm. And everything that happens must justify it. Those people are dangerous. Those people are, are thieves, crooks, rapists. Uh, keep them away from your your white daughters, keep them away from, from your families, keep them away from everyone. And it's, it, it is the craziest thing that it, it is justified over and over. It just feels like a mental um, gymnastics to continuously believe that. But yet, as you were saying, and as I also agree that it, it is, it is taught and retaught so much so that it becomes a social norm to believe these stereotypes. Well, and it's all, and also, and I think the main thing is, 
it's if you want to follow the origin of an ideology that's prevalent throughout the world now, especially one that has benefactors, follow the money. This is what I think we need to understand is one of the, the main, I believe, the main cause for the, even for the, because now we live in a time whereby there is an abundance of information through the democratization of the internet and the access to information. So even if you can't push an, the truth or push historical fact through um, academic curricula, what you can do is just upload it online and make that uh, that information available to anyone who's inquisitive. Right. Democratize it, yeah. Yeah, democratize it. Now, that's the thing about true democracy is that really, if true democracy exists, especially on a global scale, then we no longer have to concede to reference being referred to as minorities or downtrodden because within democracy, within true democracy, we form a majority on the planet. Right. Now, I would theorize that this is where you've seen the emergence of companies financed by um, you know, hedge funds and companies like Cambridge Analytica and data collectors who have now allowed for this resurgence of racial rhetoric on social media because social media would provide a landscape where discourse can be had on a very equal level whereby the power that is normally held, well, in, that would be theoretically how it would Theoretically, work. theoretically. But, we, and, but, but because of that, I think the powers that be are aware that because of that, we would be able to have a democratized voice where we can provide rebuttals to stereotypes and generalizations mm -hmm. made about the diaspora, <clears throat> which is why you've seen companies like Meta and Facebook and uh, Cambridge Analytica and other subversive companies paying online and launching cyber attacks to deliberately drive it, drive separation. Um, so, yeah, I really feel like once we really look at the cause for what I believe to be the cause for the existence of black people and our reduction and our, uh, I guess the putting it together in this glut that's now referred to as black people, like the homeless, we're a socially created species that exists in order to financially benefit a very small few. And there is throughout that a trickle down effect, but that trickle down effect doesn't work so far as providing equal opportunities uh, over a course of time for, uh, for non-blacks. But what it means is that it's like, do you know when you hear someone, when you talk to somebody about privilege and they say, I've worked hard for everything I have, I've never had privilege. Mm -hmm. I think what they mean is that I don't really have much. And what scares me the most is a more egalitarian playing field for labor, whereby I'd have to fight even harder with free blacks and other non-whites for what are already limited resources. Hmm. That's, a, that's an interest as being so myopic. They literally cannot conceive of anything else unless they physically experience it themselves. Right. That's why we, that's why those movies like Trading Places and, and, and whatnot, you know, a, a black person trading places with a white person. It's like only until you physically go through that experience that it has to be experiential that. Sadly, human beings, we're not as intuitive <laughs> as mm. we wish we were. And um, it's happened for one of the few times in this podcast, Dane, where we can't get past the first question. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a golden question from one of our guests. I think it's only happened once or twice before, Dane, uh, in 130 plus episodes. I, I, every, every, every time it's happened, it's been absolutely necessary. Mm. We will return uh, to, because I've got a question for Dr. Peggy that I haven't asked yet, and Dane will have one as well. So we'll have to get you back for another episode, if that's okay. Oh, I'm fine with that, yeah. How would you feel about not only another episode, but also appearing on one of our live podcasts coming up in 2022? Yeah, great, yeah. Please. Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure, we can do that. 
We can Good. do that. It's been an yep. absolute pleasure and joy to have you on the show, Dr. Peggy. I'm so glad we made it happen. And um, we, we have to get Thank you, we have so to get you back for, for part two where me and Dane get to ask our... It was so worth sticking. You're it was just so right. worth sticking on that question, right, Dane? I was never moving on from that. We had to do the full, the full episode. Absolutely. And uh, I think... And to be honest, I think my question, you covered it in there anyway, and I think we can be able to have a fair extension on that. And thank you very much, uh, Dr. Peggy Brunash. It's been an absolute thank pleasure. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so what, much. What a great, great guest. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at Danesnaptiste. Our guest was Dr. Peggy Brunage. You can follow Dr. Peggy on Twitter, at Peggy Brunage. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram, at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.